Good evening. I hope you have your Bibles and I hope you have a pen and paper in your hands or something to write with because we're going to be all over the scriptures tonight, mostly in the New Testament. Um, We are going to be talking about discipleship and I hope that you guys are excited about talking about discipleship because it was one year ago that Pastor Tim spent, I think it was, was it Six weeks, six weeks going two by two on different topics, on ways for us to grow in discipleship. Um, just starting off the, the entire year with that. So uh, I'm going to pray for us, then I'm probably going to read a little bit more, and then I'm going to pray for us a little bit more. Um, yeah, let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for who you are. Um, Lord, I pray that you would just fill this place with your presence, God, as we just sing the songs about who you are and how great you are, Lord. I just want to bless your name today, Lord. I want to yeah, just worship you, Jesus. I pray that you would remove any distractions from any of our eyes, any of our hearts, Lord, that you would speak your words and pierce our hearts, Lord, today. Um, God, that you would speak to me, Lord, that you would speak to all of us in this room, Lord, that you would speak through me as well, Lord. Thank you for giving us your spirit. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So we're actually going to talk about, uh, we're, we're going to be doing a three-part study, or and actually it's not going to be a three-part study, but tonight I'm going to talk about discipleship, and we're going to talk about the, the reason for and the way to start walking as being a disciple of Jesus Christ. Um, And then next week, we're actually going to talk about, and not talk about, we're actually going to start in ways to be disciples. And then the week after that, we're going to start the second ways to be disciples. And then if you guys feel like the Lord's actually telling you to walk in this discipleship manner, I would love to walk with you through that. And so something that we want to do while we are here is to disciple and to show people how to disciple. One of the main things that we find across the world with believers is believers have never been discipled. They've never been grown up in Jesus Christ. So they have no clue how to grow someone else in Jesus Christ. If you had a parent that never parented you, then it's hard for you to be a parent. And most of us who had parents that didn't parent us understand that a lot. Parents that just yelled and screamed at us and said, go do this. You tend to be that person with your kids, me right here, to be that person with your kids instead of parenting and shepherding and showing and growing your child in the right way. You tend to just fly off the handle and yell at them for every small thing. You fell down the stairs instead of saying, oh, I'm sorry that you fell down the stairs. Let me help you. What happened? Say, why did you do that? Because I never learned how to parent from those in front of me. So I'm learning now. Um, The same way with discipleship, a lot of us like to throw this word out there, discipleship, and being a disciple, we like to throw that word out there as a fancy word, but we actually have no clue how to walk this stuff out. So we're going to try to talk about that and walk in that a bit. Tonight we're going to start in Philippians 3, and we're going to almost end on Philippians 3 as well. We're going to start in verse 17, and we're going to look at our heavenly citizenship, because being a citizen of heaven is actually where this discipleship all starts at, and it's where being a disciple starts. If you're not a 
citizen in the heavenly realms, then you can't be a disciple. All right, I'm going to read verses 17 through 21 to start off. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to example, to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body, by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So here we see Paul starting off with saying, follow and be imitators of us in the way that we are imitating Christ. Then he goes and says, there are many that are enemies of the cross. But you have been given a heavenly citizenship. These are two, this is to the body, two believers, two people who have called on Jesus' name, people who have been, been saved and have received baptism in the Philippian church. But I want to add something to you and give you something, that there are four different types of people in the world. There are one, citizens of the kingdom of God. If you can look at this podium and see this podium as the kingdom of God, just bear with me and, and go with me there for a minute. This is the kingdom of God. And there are people that are in this podium that are citizens of the kingdom of God. And then there are people that are in this podium that are sojourners in the kingdom of God. Then there are people that are near the podium who are neighbors to the kingdom of God. And then there are people that are just on the outside of that who are enemies of the kingdom of God. We have four different types of people in this world. This scripture right here talks specifically about number one and number four, enemies of the cross and citizens of the kingdom of God. Tonight, we're going to talk a lot about not number four, but about one, two, and three, about what it looks like to be a citizen of the kingdom of God, about what it looks like to be a sojourner in the kingdom of God, and then what it looks like to be near the kingdom of God and a neighbor. So if you think about a kingdom, and I don't want you to take, take all of your political thoughts of America out and throw it away because America is a democracy to a great extent, but as you have a kingdom, you have a what that sits on the throne. A king. So you have one person that sits on the throne that reigns over the entire area. So this podium, the God, Jesus, is sitting on the throne, and his kingdom is this area. And everything under this kingdom is under his domain. So if you're a sojourner, you're still under the domain of that. I have been living in South Asia for the last eight years, and I've been a sojourner in that country. I don't have the rights of the citizens inside of that country. I get some, a little bit of fair play there, but in reality, I cannot vote. I cannot pick anything. If anything goes wrong inside of my area, then who do the police come to first? They come to this guy right here, and they say, what are you doing here? Why are you here? Because the sojourner doesn't have the kingdom in his best interest. 
The sojourner just lives there. The sojourner is just there. And many of us inside of the church are actually just sojourners. We like the benefits that we get from the kingdom of God, but we actually haven't given ourselves to the kingdom of God. There's also some of us who are around the kingdom, who are neighbors, who take, like we, we sang the song just a little bit ago, the clef, the rock, the clef of the rock. I'm saying every time I do that, it makes a funny noise. Clef, the clef of the rock. We're just kind of tucked up against it for defensive purposes, but we actually aren't for the kingdom. We just want to reap a little bit, get what we can get, because it's about us. But actually, inside of a kingdom, who is it about? about the king. If you don't bow to the king's wishes, if you don't do what the king tells you to do, if you do not follow him, then you will be exiled from what? The kingdom. You have no place, no part to play inside of the kingdom. So let's take a look at uh, just first uh, Corinthians, Colossians 1.13, just to kind of put a little bit of a, of a damp on that, just a stamp on that. Colossians 1.13 says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son. 14 says, In whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. Now you can be transferred into the kingdom of God and still be a sojourner. Understand that. You can live in the kingdom of God and still be a sojourner. What is the difference between a sojourner and someone who has citizenship? It's surrendering your previous citizenship. Surrendering your previous citizenship. Inside of this body here at Calvary Chapel Richmond, we have a handful of people who have actually come from different countries, moved into this country, and had to go through the process of surrendering their previous citizenship. I'm thinking specifically about our brother Joseph, who did it this past year, became a citizen of the United States. And how joyful he was to become a citizen of the United States. And one of the things that you actually have to do whenever you become a citizen is give up your previous citizenship. If I want to become a citizen of the country that I'm in, one of the many things that I have to do is, one, I have to be inside of that country for 15 years. The second thing is, is I have to no longer be an American citizen. I have to take my American passport, give it in, and say, okay, I want all of yours and none of mine. And I can no longer be that American citizen while I am an, a citizen of this South Asian country. The same thing is in the kingdom of God. As citizens of the kingdom of God, we give up this earthly citizenship that we have, this earthly domain. So two ways for us to become citizens. Does anybody know those two ways? that you can become a citizen of the United States. If you fill out any visa forms, they ask you, how have you become a citizen? Is it by one, birth, or two, by naturalization? Well, naturalization it can be marriage and all these other different things, but it's naturalization. So there's only two ways that you can become a citizen. And now inside of the kingdom of God, we actually have both of those two things happening simultaneously. We are born as citizens through rebirth in Jesus Christ, which is what Pastor Tim talked about this past Sunday, if any of you guys were, were 
keying in. I hope that you guys were because the past two Sundays actually play perfectly into what I'm talking about tonight, although this was all written like seven weeks ago. So that's the way that Jesus likes to do his stuff, is he likes to give confirmation on top of confirmation on top of confirmation. Hey, you didn't catch it the first time, so let me show you again. You didn't catch it that time, let me show you again. In my grace, I'm going to show you again, and hopefully it gets through our thick skulls, mine in particular. So by birth, John 3, the first part of John 3, talks a lot about that rebirth that we have in the Spirit when we surrender our lives over to Jesus. We have that rebirth. We're able to be born of the Spirit, not just of, of, of water, but of the Spirit. The second way is naturalization. Over time, jumping through hoops, following through different things. Um, being born again, and, and some of us, whenever we actually become citizens of the kingdom of God, we actually come immediately through that rebirth. We accept Jesus into our life. We forsake everything that is behind. And we say, Jesus, I want you and I want all of you. And we become citizens in that moment. I've seen that happen in people's lives here inside of our body here at CCR. Some of the rest of us, it's a slow process. God has to slowly chip away at us and chip away at us and chip away at us. Maybe first we start coming to church. Then we put down our drink. Then we put down uh, maybe the, the pursue of job and whatever else it is. And then we start to read the Bible, maybe. Then maybe we start to pray. Okay, God, I'm slowly walking into your kingdom. So you're being sojourners that whole time. You're around the kingdom. You're inside the kingdom. You're doing different things. And people can spot you and they can say, this guy, he just hadn't made it into the kingdom yet. We're still waiting on him to come into the kingdom. That's more of the naturalization path. So what's the main difference between the naturalization and the birth and what's the main difference between being a sojourner and between being a citizen? It's surrender. Surrender. Turn with me to Romans 6. We're going to start in verse 15. And we're going to go through the end of, of Romans 6. Now Romans 6 is a... Very heavy, very loaded, very great chapter, um, so, but I'm skipping the first part for time, but we're going to start in verse 15. We've talked a lot about grace so far and how we're free from sin, but we don't want to keep going back to it. So verse 15 starts off and says, what then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourself to anyone as obedient slaves, that word present there can be called present as in presenting an offering or to offer yourself or to surrender yourself. That's what the meaning of that word is. It's not a present as in, oh, I'm presenting myself as, a, I'm presenting myself here, I'm present. No, it's an action of giving away. When you present yourself as a slave, so you are selling yourself as a slave to someone. Not someone else selling you, you selling yourself. When you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. That's obedience to Christ. But thanks be to God 
that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from heart from from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and having been set free from sin you have become slaves of righteousness i am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations for just as you once presented or surrendered your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present or surrender your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. When you were slaves of sin, you were free in regards to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? The end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end is eternal life. For the wage of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus our Lord. So as citizens, we gain rights inside of the kingdom of God. And as sojourners, you have some things that you can do inside of the kingdom, but you don't have the rights of the kingdom of God. So here's our first point for the night. And then most of you guys are actually going to start asking, what does this have to do with discipleship? Because it has a lot to do with discipleship, but I'm going to get there in a second. So as we surrender to God, we give up our citizenship in this world and will no longer live as slaves to this world, but to God in freedom with joy, love, and the life that he brings. So what does all of this have to do with discipleship? It's a question that most of us are wondering. Okay, Zach, you said you're going to talk about discipleship. Right now you're just talking about surrender and this citizen and being around the kingdom of God and in the kingdom of God but not fully in the kingdom of God. I don't really understand where you're going here. Discipleship starts out with our heavenly, our heavenly citizenship first. And secondly, our surrender to Jesus Christ. Actually, both of those at the same time. Heavenly citizenship, you can't have that without surrendering to Jesus Christ. Many of us want to be disciple makers, but we have actually never been disciples ourselves because we've never surrendered to Jesus. We've never become a citizen of his kingdom. And so tonight I'm asking you the question to ask yourself, Am I a citizen of the kingdom of God? Have I ever actually surrendered my life to Jesus? Have I ever actually said, God, you can have it all? That Philippians 3, the first part of that, Paul says, I have counted everything else as rubbish compared to knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. And he goes down a little further and says, not that I've already obtained all of it. Hey, just know, I haven't obtained all that. But one thing I have, I forget all of that. And I press on to the heavenwards, to Jesus Christ my Lord, to know him. To know him. And to grow as disciples, the way that we do that is, one, in surrender. We have to surrender our rights you take your passport and you give it away and you say, I don't want this anymore. What this is is so much better. I don't want my football games. I don't want my kids. I don't want my wife. Let's take a look at some things that Jesus has said, now that I'm getting onto that a little bit. Um, one thing that sojourners and neighbors won't do is surrender. They won't surrender. That's why they're not citizens. 
They haven't renounced or presented or offered up this world and their earthly citizenship. Let's take a look at what Jesus tells us in Luke 14. We're going to go Luke 14, and we're going to start in verse 25. This is what, if you look in your Bible, some of it says, the cost of discipleship. And I was getting there just then, maybe getting a little bit ahead of myself and my zeal and my excitement. But Jesus says it a lot better. Verse 25. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and he said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brother and sister, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. If we haven't surrendered everything up to him, we cannot be his disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he's laid a foundation and is not able to finish it, All who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able to with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. The rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he says, Teacher, how can we inherit the kingdom of God? And he says, You know, well, what, what do you think? Well, keep all the rules, right? Yeah, I've done those since my, since my uh, childhood. I've been great at those things. Sell everything that you have. Come and follow me. What are they saying? He goes away sad. He wanted to sojourn in the kingdom. He wanted to just be there without renouncing everything else that he had. Look at the 12, though. He turns after these big crowds swell, and they start to follow him, and he turns and he says these things like, foxes have holes and birds have nests. But I don't have anything. So it is. Pick up your cross and follow me. We're going to get there in just a second. We're going to read that. Don't worry about it. But yet, the crowds fall away. He goes back to the the disciples and says, are you guys going to leave me too? What do those guys say? They say, teacher, where will we go? You have the words of life. That's why those guys are called the 12 disciples. 12 apostles. In Jesus' time, we think that there's roughly 120 because that's what's in the upper room at the end when Pentecost comes. Uh, Roughly 120 people up in this room. Of the tens of thousands of people that he reached, that he taught, that he shared with, we got 120 people who are willing to surrender their rights of citizenship to become a citizen of the kingdom of God to receive his and receive his uh, citizenship. Jesus gives the call. We respond, but he wants all of us. Some of us have been tricked into this saying that Jesus, the, the gift of salvation is free. It's true, but it's a half-truth. 
The gift of salvation is free. It's freely given. Christ freely gave himself to us. And he today is freely giving of himself, the Holy Spirit, God the Father. He's saying, I want to give you all of me. If any one of us want all of God, it is there for the taking. In my college days, I used to ask people whenever I was doing discipleship with them, one of my first questions to them would say, if you had all of God in your hands, what would you do with it? And most of the people would say, be scared I wouldn't drop it or, um, you know, feel like it. I was like, just a, a ball right there. What would you, what'd you do? Uh, I don't know. Uh, throw it away. Ask somebody else to take it from me. Uh, I don't know what to do with it. The truth is, is you have all of God at your fingertips. You have all of God inside of your spirit, the Holy Spirit inside of you. But the other half of that is that this freely given gift costs you everything. God wants all of you. He wants your Sunday afternoons just as much as he wants your Sunday mornings. He wants your Tuesdays at 2.45 just as much as he wants your Wednesdays at 3.30 in the evening, in the morning. It's not the evening, only for people who stay up really late, that would be the evening. (laughs) So 3.30 in the morning. He wants all of you. He wants all of your time, all of you. He wants all of you. Not that I have already obtained all this, be honest with you, not that I've already obtained all this, but one thing that I do is striving towards that which Jesus Christ is called as heavenly. So have you ever thought of why all of the crowds left Jesus whenever he rebuked them? It's because they didn't want to give their life to him. Discipleship truly starts with us counting that cost. Do I want to give it all for Jesus? Do I want to surrender the things of this world for a better a better part. Matthew 7 is our next passage that we're going to take a look at. And this is one that actually Pastor Tim read this past week or two weeks ago whenever he was talking about in in John 2 false and true conversions where he said Jesus did not commit himself to those people that were there in Jerusalem. He didn't give himself to them, although some of them believed. He didn't give himself to them because he knew everything that was in their heart. 7, 21 through 23, it says, not everyone who says to me, this is Jesus talking, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Many of us on that day will say, did I not do this food drive? Did I not serve in the church in this way? Did I not go on that mission trip? Did I not invite that person into my house? And he'll look at us and say, you were sojourning in my kingdom, son. But I never knew you. You were not a citizen of the kingdom of God. Those who live and around the kingdom but never were citizens of God is who we're talking about. Actually walking And in the manner of discipleship is actually quite easy. It's not that difficult to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. One, you follow his commands. Two, you follow his commands. Three, you follow his 
commands. That's, that's the easiest thing in discipleship, which is actually really difficult for most of us. It's hard to live this life of giving it away constantly. It's hard to say, yes, God, you want me to leave my job without another job to go to? What do you want me to do, God? How am I going to feed my kids? How am I going to pay my mortgage? But you're telling me to do this? Obviously, that's not from you, God. That's just some wild, crazy thought. Put that to the side, and let's just keep going on our way. It's difficult to walk in obedience, but it's not that difficult to be disciples. It's not, it doesn't take rocket science. You don't have to be a rocket scientist. Look at me. I'm from Mississippi. I can't even speak right. can't even get my words out right. But yet God has called me to himself. God has called me to be a disciple of his and to continuously give it all up. It is a walk of surrender. Slowly, gradually surrendering after surrendering after surrendering and after surrendering. So a question to you guys are you willing to surrender to Jesus? His way? His life? His plans? Are you willing to surrender? Count that cost. Because you don't want to be that sojourner that hung out in the kingdom for 40, 50 years and come to the end of the time and he says, away from me. I never knew you, dude. I never knew you. You never had a part in me. You had so much head knowledge, as Pastor Tim was talking about, but you had no heart knowledge. Tell you what, back in the day, I knew everything there was to know about David Justice. David Justice was a baseball player. He played for the Braves way before he was a Yankee. So I don't count him as a Yankee. I count him as an Atlanta Brave, which is my team. Um, But he became a Yankee. And he was my favorite baseball player. I knew everything there was to know about David Justice. But I did not know David Justice. I had never shook his hand before. I had never embraced him. I never talked to him before. It was too far away from me. Many of us are that way about Jesus. Just feel like he's so far away. But he's as close as we want him to be. So if so, we've counted the cost. Here's what we need for discipleship. Let's move on to what we need. What we need for discipleship to happen and what we will do for the next two Wednesdays. If you enjoy our times, then we'll continue after the 17th like this in other ways. These are the things that you'll need for discipleship. Number one, you need teachability and a surrendered heart. A broken and contrite heart broken and contrite spirit, he will not despise. Too many of us will not surrender ourselves up to the teaching. We will not surrender ourselves over to people so that we can learn from them. To be a practitioner, you first have to have done it. How many people do you know that have a degree in something but don't ever work in that field but still call themselves that thing? I had a really good friend, family friend, who was an engineer. And what he did was he changed tires all of his life. That's what he had done is he changed a tire. He had a tire shop and he changed tires. And I would always be like, why do you call yourself an engineer? You're a tireman. That's what you are. 
That's what you've always been. That's what you'll always be. I have a degree in it. I was like, brother, you haven't worked in engineering a day in your life. You are not a practitioner. You are not an engineer. Many of us are that way with Jesus. Many of us are that way with discipleship. We have never been a disciple. We've never been a follower of Christ. So we can never lead other peoples in that way. But we can claim it. We have to be teachable. We have to surrender and commit ourselves over to other people who know about these things to be able to take us further in those ways. If I want to be an electrician, I should follow an electrician around and learn from that electrician. If I want to learn about piano, I'm going to go and ask Tawan to teach me how to play. If I learn from Tawan, then I'll be so much further along than trying to flounder by myself unless I'm just some music savant, which I'm not. Not a savant in anything except for making a lot of mistakes. So you'll need teachability and a surrendered heart. To Jesus, that is. The second thing that you need is a personal desire and expectation. You have to personally want it. If you don't want it, then you will never receive it. If you don't want to become a baseball player, even if you have all of the skills and all of the necessary A, B, C, D to make it happen, you will never achieve that. Never. Never will you. Forgive me, I'm a baseball person. I know we've got a lot of football people around here. You never will. You have to have a personal desire and a personal desire to want it and then an expectation to make that happen. A lot of us say, I want to be discipled. And then you expect someone else to come and get you and to take care of you and to make that happen. That's a different mindset than I, ha- I want this and I'm expecting myself to make this happen. Jesus went to his 12 and said, hey, come on, come and follow me. And they dropped him, they dropped everything they had, and they came and they followed. After that, Jesus just rebuked them and told them to leave over and over. And they just kept saying, hey, uh, we're here. We, we don't have anywhere else to go. We're here with you. Jesus didn't keep saying to those guys, whenever the crowds left him, he didn't keep coming back and be like, all right, Jimmy, come on. I know I was a little bit harsh. Come on back. Let me rub your back a little bit. It's okay. Give me a hug. No, Jesus' time was spent on the 12th and on the 120th. Time was spent there because those were the ones that wanted it. We've been reading in a, in a personal Bible study that I've been reading with. Um, we've been actually going through John as well. And we were asking the question about John the, ba- John, not John the Baptist, John the disciple, the one who Jesus loves. Throughout John, he keeps talking about that. The disciple whom Jesus loves, which he's referring to himself. And John is talked about in a very high manner throughout most of, the, most of the Gospels. And we ask the question, why do you think John's talked about in that way? And one of the guys raised his hand and was like, I think, I think it's because he just wanted it more. He just wanted the love of Jesus Christ more than the other 12. Maybe he and Peter both did. Another example of a sojourner would be Judas. Our friend, someone who stayed around the kingdom the entire time and in the end met an untimely end. The third thing that we need to be disciples is consistency and commitment. You have to be consistent. You can't 
I'm going to read my Bible once a month. I'm going to, I'm going to make this, this uh, New Year's commitment. What do we call those things? Resolutions. I'm going to make this New Year's resolution to read my Bible three times a week. And then you read it three times a week. And then the second week, you're reading it two times a week. And then the third week, you're not reading it at all. And then three months later, you're convicted again. Oh, I need to read my Bible three times a week. So then you pick it up once a week. And then you don't read it for the next three months. And then you pick it up the next time. Consistency shows maturity. Pastor Tim has told me that many different times. Consistency shows maturity. And that consistency also shows your commitment. Where your heart is, there your treasure will be either where your treasure is. I think I said that right. Where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. This is a count the cost thing. Are you counting the cost? Are you actually realizing the vows that you're making? Or are you just saying things off the cuff? The fourth thing that you need and the most important of all these things is you need the Word of God and the Holy Spirit to become a disciple. The Word of God and the Holy Spirit. Philippians 3.17, where we started earlier. If I can find it again. Paul says, Brothers, Join me, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the examples you have in us. One of the things that we have to do is we have to follow after those who are giving an example. Follow after those who see the fruit and the desire to learn from. Pursue those people. Don't wait for those people to pursue you because they won't. You pursue them. I want to learn from you. I'm going to go after you. Pursue those people. Acts 17.11. Hold that last thought. Go to Acts 17.11. Some of you may know this, ver this, this verse in this, this section right here as the Berean section. I'm going to read 10 before this. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. So they went to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now those Jews, the Berean Jews, were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. One of the things that we as Bereans, as disciples, do is we don't just receive the things that are given to us. No, we have to take those things back to the Word of God. We ask the Holy Spirit to reveal these things to us because we have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Each one of us knows Jesus. The Holy Spirit lives inside of us. We have no need for any other teacher because the Holy Spirit will teach us. But we still need examples. Paul tells Timothy that, or he tells, um, oh, I just messed it up. Paul tells the Corinthians, the Corinthians? Yeah, I think it's in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 4, um, that they have no oh man, I lost it. I'm sorry. I think it's in 1 Corinthians 4. I think they says that you have no fathers. You have many guides in the faith, but you have no fathers in the faith. 
And that's what we need in, as disciples, is we need those that we can go to as fathers. We have many guides. You can get on any, si- any website and listen to any podcast that you want. And you can listen to anyone that's going to tickle your ears, tickle your fancy, tell you what you want to hear. I told, I told my wife well, during all of the election stuff that was going on, I said, babe, you can look for facts or you can look for people that make you, feel, make you feel one way or the other. Look for the facts. Let's look for the truth. The same thing with Jesus. The same thing with, with the truth is we want to look for those fathers who are going to lead us back to the truth, lead us back to the scriptures, lead us back to the Holy Spirit. So we're going to be those Bereans committed to consistency, committed to that personal desire and that expectation that they themselves can learn. Here's uh, some, some last couple things for us. Hebrews 13, 7 and 17. Something that we all need as disciples is we all need to not judge our leaders so harshly. One of the things that we do in pride, which is not in surrendering ourselves over to God, is we, is we say, well, I, that person... That person can't teach me. I'm 50. That person's 12. I can't learn anything from that 12-year-old. Don't you know how long I've been in the faith? But who God sets over us and who God sets in front of our path is really important. Hebrews 13.7 says, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider, Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Flip over to verse 17. It says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. I'm going to pause there. A leader is actually someone who has covering over you. The, the best description that I can give you of leader is someone who has covering over you. Picture a mama hen. She's standing over her babe over her brood of chickens. Behind her is the wolf that's biting at her back, and she is covering those chickens. Do you know what the, you know what the chicks are doing? The chicks are biting her from the under. That's the perfect picture of what leaders actually do. They cover you. They are, they're, they're, you're covering and us so often, we're those chicks that are pecking as the wolf is bearing down and biting on our, on our leader's back. The evil one attacks leaders so hard, wants to destroy them, wants to take every single leader in your life out of there. Your parents, your mom, your dad, your older brothers, your older sisters, your pastors, every single one, they want to destroy them and wipe them off. Because if you can destroy the leaders, then the followers will just run. What did Jesus say? How I long to gather you, Jerusalem long to gather you. But he knew that if he could destroy Jesus, which jokes on you, Satan, that was the plan. But he thought if he could take out Jesus, then everybody else will scatter. The end of that verse says, let them do this with joy and not with groaning. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning. For that would be of no advantage to you. Honor your leaders. Those who you want to learn from, don't give them a harder time. You be the one that seeks after them. You be the one that says, I want to pick up what you're putting down. Let me come up behind you. Let me learn what you're doing. Don't make it more difficult for them. All right, we'll finish with 2 Corinthians 13. 
And this is a, a call out for every single one of us that we should all be doing pretty often. Second Corinthians 13, verse 5 and 10, 5 through 10. Examine yourself to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves, or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? If you are a citizen of the holy place, then Jesus Christ is inside of you. Test yourself. See if you are a citizen. See if you've surrendered. You guys at home, ask the question, have I surrendered my life to Jesus? Did I do it 30 years ago? And then I've just been sojourning around the kingdom ever since, not exercising my rights as a citizen, not walking as a citizen of Jesus Christ. And I've just been kind of around the church, doing the church thing, but not actually living my life for Jesus. Where am I? Verse 5, the end of verse 5. Unless indeed you fail to meet the test. If you fail the test, then obviously you know you need to surrender your life to Jesus to pass the test. Get yourself right. Follow Christ. Say, Jesus, I really haven't. I've never given my life to you. I've never been a disciple because I've never actually followed you. I never have. I've been a sojourner for 30 years. I've been a neighbor for 100 years. I've been flat out an enemy of the cross of Jesus Christ and backbitten and destroyed every leader that I could because I thought that I was better. Those are only four places to be. Three of them end in destruction. One of them ends in eternal glory with Jesus Christ. Verse 6. This is for me. I hope that you will find out that I have not, that we have not failed the test. But we pray to God that you may not do wrong. Not that we may appear to have met the test, but that you may do what is right, though we may seem to have failed. So even if we fail, even if I fail, you yourself, brother and sister, you have passed the test. You have done it. For we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. For we are glad when we are weak and you are strong. And this is what a real leader is. Glad when the flock is growing. Someone who's really walking in discipleship is so happy when the flock is growing. Who cares if he just broke his leg, his legs were cut out from under him, he's got pneumonia, he's coughing up a lung. Who cares about that? He's weak. But you're strong? Oh, praise Jesus. <laughs> praise Jesus because your restoration is what we pray for. For this reason I write these things while I'm away for you, from you. That when I come, I may not have to serve in my use of the authority, that heavenly authority, that citizenship that Paul's been given, that the Lord has given me for the building up and not for the tearing down. You want to look for those who are going to build you up in the faith. Because you can also tear down. So questions for you tonight, brothers and sisters, before we ever even really talk about discipleship and actually look at what it looks like, which is going to be what we're going to do next week and then the week after that, is have you surrendered your life to Jesus? Are you a heaven, do you have heavenly citizenship? Have you surrendered your life over into the hands of other people who can lead you on? 
Or have you been hypercritical of them and pushed against them? Made it hard for them? Made them do it with a lot of groaning? Because I've been in those, both of those situations where I've kicked against every leader and said, I don't need you. The Holy Spirit's going to teach me. And then I've been broken, severely broken, severely broken. And now God's showing me more and more how much I need to surrender myself, not only to him, but unto the body of Christ to truly walk in the manner to which he's called us to be meant to be. I'll leave you with those thoughts, those two questions. When we come back next week, I'm going to ask you to answer those questions. And you're going to answer those questions out loud. So if you don't want to come back, that's a good reason not to come back while I'm here, while I'm teaching the next two weeks, because you don't want to answer those questions. I haven't surrendered my life to Jesus. But that's an okay question. It's an okay answer. If the desire is, I believe that I want to. Counting the cost sometimes takes us years. Some people don't buy their first house for tens and fifteens of years because they don't feel like they have enough money to do it. They have to count that cost. And some of us just say, well, I'm going to do it anyways. Make sure you count the cost so that you can be consistent, you can be committed. Let me pray. Jesus, we come to you and we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is a light light and a lamp unto our feet, Lord. It's a light unto our path that your word teaches us, God, that your Holy Spirit is inside of us and that your Holy Spirit can take us closer to you, Father. That your Holy Spirit enlightens our eyes. It breaks through our outer man, our shell, Lord, and it allows us to live from the inner man, the spirit that you've put inside of us, Lord. I pray that, that each one of us would be strengthened inside of our inner man, inside of our inner woman tonight, Lord. That as we go and we approach your throne of grace and we, and we ask the questions, have I surrendered my life to you, Jesus? Am I a citizen of heaven or am I not? God, I pray that as we answer that question, that we answer it truthfully and that we examine our lives and that if we haven't given that life over, Lord, that we would get on our knees tonight, or we'd get on our knees in the days to come, and that we would surrender our life to you, because we know, Lord, that you are where life is found. You have the words of life. Where else can we find those things? In you is life. In you is light, and in you is love. So, Jesus, we look to you. Spirit, we thank you for your guidance. And Lord, we thank you for all that you're doing inside of our lives, Lord. Bring us closer to you because all that we've just talked about, all that we talk about every Sunday, every Wednesday, every Tuesday Bible study, every, Wednesday, every Thursday Bible study, every time of prayer, Lord, it's about your kingdom. It's about you. It's about knowing you more, Lord, and being surrendered unto you. Because without you, we honestly, we've got nothing. We've got nothing. So we do just surrender all to you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.